Let me add to the thank yous and what a night that have already been spoken uh, by Eric and by Wade earlier in the service. It was a tremendous night, Friday night. And as they both shared, it could not have happened without a whole, whole lot of people volunteering uh, for days and weeks, uh, getting ready, and especially uh, working so hard on Friday, none harder than one Eric Thornton. And there were a whole lot of people that were here uh, volunteering. There were uh, some who gave up the privilege of being a part of the concert so they could help in other areas. Uh, And there were some that stayed very, very late uh, getting the group loaded up. And we appreciate it so very much. We appreciate the elders for uh, giving us a very fast approval when there was a cancellation. I had already talked with Keith Lancaster and uh, Jake Jones, their production manager, and talked to them about uh, wanting a cappella to come here and have a concert. And they said, well, we're actually going on tour next year, but we're all booked up. And so I said, well, just keep us in mind. And so uh, uh, I got a text message and a call from Keith Lancaster, and he said, well, there has been a cancellation. And there are two churches that would like that date, and you're one of them. And I said, okay, I'll get back with you. And so I called uh, Galen, and he got in touch with the uh, other elders, and we set the world record for uh, Church of Christ eldership approving something (laughs) that big. One hour later, within one hour, it was a firm yes, and I got back with Keith, and he almost thought that I had called the wrong number or something, but uh, we got on their calendar, and it was a splendid night. They're still talking about how wonderful... Uh, Tyler was, how wonderful this church was, and we're going to be talking for a long, long time about the great worship experience uh, that we had. There are lots of pictures on Facebook, some videos, um, and so I appreciate everyone who made that uh, happen. It was such a, such a wonderful, wonderful night, and uh, one that we'll be reliving for a long, long time. As we're going through this series, we um, very appropriate that we would have the uh, ministry highlight that we had today on uh, the work of uh, La Iglesia de Cristo and Israel and his family, uh, because today we're speaking about that sin that Wade prayed about, and that is the sin of racism. I entitled the sermon, Being Grateful for All in an Ungrateful Culture. And as I've thought about it, um, every week I think, well, this is the hardest one in this series. <laughs> and I feel that way today also, but for different reasons. As I think about the ones that we've shared and the ones that are coming up, um, I realize that this is one of those topics that is every single day, all the time, and that people have so many strong feelings about and so many strong emotions about. And and those uh, feelings and opinions are possibly more varied than some of the ones that we've already talked about. We seem to have a lot of unity of of mind and spirit in some of the other areas, such as sexual morality that we spent about three weeks talking about. And we would all say that um, racism is wrong. We would all say that racial discrimination is wrong. But that's about where it ends, isn't it? After that, there's all kinds of different feelings and different emotions and different opinions about what this means, what it actually is. Am I guilty? And so these words have a life of their own. Prejudice, 
discrimination, racism, justice, equality. As you think about those words, what comes to mind? What feelings inside of you are stirred? And on the surface, you would think, well, Bill, we all feel the same way, that they're all wrong. But that's, again, that's where the, the commonality might end. Because as we think about what those words mean and how they're played out in our own lives and in the life of our culture, in the life of our own community right here in Tyler and Smith County and surrounding areas, in the life of our nation, in our world today, those words have a much more powerful and broader aspect than what we might think. Sarah Barrett, who has offered this book that we're using as our resource, and there are some resources listed on your sermon outline in the bulletin, she writes this, when it comes to these difficult and controversial but deeply personal topics, I believe we have at times allowed ourselves to be discipled by culture and influenced by personal opinions and biases instead of educated by the Word of God. And I think that's true. As we consider these words, and you honestly reflect on the thoughts you have, the feelings you have, where you go, and your thoughts with these topics, I'm worried that for me and for all of us, for many of us, it is something that reflects our culture, something that reflects the last year, the last two years, the last five years, the last hundred years, rather than what Scripture tells us about these topics. Well, think about the story that Wade mentioned in his prayer. In fact, a couple of them. First one from Luke 10. The question Jesus was asked in Luke 10 was not who is my neighbor? And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, wait a minute, Bill. I finally got you. Man, you are so wrong because that is exactly what the Bible says. Jesus was talking about the greatest commandments. Remember? What's the greatest commandment? Well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Right out of Deuteronomy. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, 18. And then the man asked this exact question, who is my neighbor? But that's not the question he was asking, was it? It's not the question we ask either, is it? The questioner was really asking, who do I have to love? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And his response was, who do I have to love? Who does that include? Who can I leave out on that list of neighbors so that I don't have to love them? I don't have to treat them well. I don't have to look at them as a person created in the image of God and every bit as loved by the Creator God as I am. So Jesus tells the story to answer his question about the man who fell among robbers and 
Three men came by, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And only the Samaritan, the hated Samaritan, the one that was a half-breed, the one that, as Wade shared, all the Jews uh, felt so strongly against that they would walk around the whole region of Samaria to go from south in Judea to north in uh, Galilee and vice versa. And yet that man is who Jesus called as the hero. And then he asked the man the question, not who was your neighbor, but rather who did the neighborly thing? And the answer, of course, was the Samaritan. Wade mentioned the account of the man, of the woman that Jesus encountered at the well from Samaria in John 4. And I love the way John places that when he says Jesus had to go through Samaria. And he didn't. Wade is exactly right. He didn't have to go. In fact, most of the Jews didn't. They avoided the whole region because of their racism. Their I'm better than you are. Ism. But Jesus had to go through there. And he met this woman and he talked with her. And in spite of being a woman, in spite of being a very sinful woman, in spite of being a Samaritan sinful woman, Jesus talked with her and affirmed her, did not condone her sin, but affirmed her and accepted her as a person he created in his image. When the disciples came, she ran quickly away and told everybody that she was always trying to avoid. Could this man be the Messiah? He knows things about me, and yet he treated me like no one else has treated me. Could this be the Messiah? Other passages there on your outline, including some Old Testament wonderful scriptures, such as that great word in Micah 6, verse 8, Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Others that from the Old Testament and New that call us to live right, to do right, to be witnesses of, to all. And so a few thoughts about this, and then we'll maybe come back and reflect on a couple of those scriptures that are mentioned there. A couple of areas especially for us to consider with this topic. First of all, systemic racism. Systemic racism. And my opportunities is what I'd like to relay this with in those terms. My opportunities. I think it behooves all of us to be able to honestly acknowledge that as a white person, I have opportunities that some others may not have because of the color of their skin. Joyce and I grew up in San Antonio and uh, in the 60s and 70s. I was around a, a military community. Joyce was around a very a strong percentage of Hispanic community in the south part of San Antonio we both lived in. And I realized looking back that I have had opportunities that others may not have had. That others may have been X'd off the list very quickly. Does that happen all the time? No, I'm not saying that at all. Is everyone like that? Nope, not saying that either. And that's the problem, isn't it? You can't make a statement like that. Without someone responding and saying, what you're saying, that all white people are racist? No, I'm not. I'm not at all. And I'm not saying that no black people have ever had an opportunity, or Hispanics, or Asians, or others, 
in this country. I'm not saying that at all. Can we get away from the extremes? Can we get away from what uh, I remember? I don't remember much about my school days, but I remember this term, sweeping generalizations. We talked about it some in our Bible class this morning. And I love the examples that several came up with. All Northerners are liberal. All Southern people are racist. Sweeping generalizations. You lump a whole group of people in with a small group of extremists from that group. And you say everybody's like that. And it's just not true. We think of Black Lives Matter and critical race theory and Antifa, Proud Boys, white supremacists. I don't know about you, but a, a few years ago when things were such in an uproar in 2020 and there was, there was some injustices done clearly and there was a national reaction to that and I had such hope that maybe now, maybe now we'll be able to have an open, honest conversation about what's going on in an honest way without necessarily going crazy with it. And guess what happened? We went crazy with it. Our nation went crazy. And this group went that way crazy, and this group went that way crazy. And here the vast majority of people in our country were left without, with a lost opportunity because the extremists took over and they used those means that were so hopeful and so promising to set forth their extreme agenda and an opportunity was lost let's talk about this systemic racism for a moment first of all some truths some truths about systemic racism I think it's true that racism has occurred in our country. And I think it's true that it still does. Not everywhere, not all the time, but it's definitely present. One of the things that those who are calling us out for the systemic racism, one truth that I think is there is that call to seek equality and justice. We say it in our pledge, with liberty and justice, what? For all, for all. But on a practical basis, does that happen for everyone? To deny that some have been denied opportunities because of the color of their skin is to deny the obvious truth of our history. I believe that. But let's talk about some failures of the systemic racism discussion going on right now as well. First of all, all are created in the image of God, and that's not acknowledged. All are sinners and fall short of God's glory. Just as Danny quoted in our uh, time around the table today, quoting Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, and that's the only place where we can get that. And we're all guilty, and we're all in need of that saving blood 
of Jesus Christ. One of the failures of the movement that concerns systemic racism is that it sees everything through the lens of race. And I don't think that's healthy. It's needed sometimes, and in some discussions, absolutely. But if we see everything through the lens of race, then we've lost the biblical perspective of how we are all created in the image of God. I remember studying a few years back in my graduate school uh, something called liberation theology, and I, and I think that's what we're talking about here. That sees everything through the lens of race. Christians are called to see everything through the lens of Christ. We don't do a good job of that, but that's our calling. Those who are calling out for systemic racism uh, work the problem, again, that one of the failures is that it identifies people by groups rather than by individual actions. And that's that sweeping generalization. All white people are racist. All black people feel like they're entitled. All Hispanics are this. All Asians are that. All rich people are this. All poor people are that. All preachers are dishonest, lying, well, you know, get the idea. Sweeping generalization. Here's what Ezekiel 18 says. Ezekiel 18 says, the soul that sins is the soul that shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, nor the father for the son. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon him. That's verse 20, but it's the whole chapter of Ezekiel 18. And it says just because a large number in a group is one way, it doesn't mean everyone is that way. Yes, there are problems that need to be identified. But to deny that our country has made vast improvements in race relationships is also to deny the obvious truth of our history. In Acts 10, they opened up the church to the Gentiles without making them Jews. And it took decades for them to adjust to that. And at the end of the New Testament, decades later, they still hadn't done it. <laughs> they struggled with it. And as I thought about that, I thought about the United States of America. And I thought about 1776. And I thought about the Declaration of Independence and later the Constitution of the United States. And I think about things like that pledge that calls for liberty and justice for all, that says it all Men are created equal. All people are created equal. And are entitled to all of these things. And that was our decision. And that's our goal. And that's what we want. And that makes this country one of the greatest countries. I think the greatest country ever. But we have failed to accomplish that. And I don't think we have to feel bad about that. Other than bad enough to say. What can I do to help make that better? Just like it took a long time for the Jewish Christians to accept the Gentile Christians, we face the same things. Because we're all human. But we should be committed to that work. So let's talk for a moment about individual racism. Individual racism, I want us to think about my actions. My actions. Your actions. Every day. 
with the people you're around. A few things we can do. Number one, study and live out the Bible's call for truth and justice. Sarah Barrett writes, if we truly desire to bring healing to the wound slash deep by prejudice, we must go beyond the narratives of culture. Our culture does not have the answer. I agree with her. Whether they come from the political right or the political left and discern how God desires his people to do justice. Oh, why don't we try that? Instead of what the conservative and the liberal commentators are calling us to do, why don't we see what God's Word says about it and treat people the way Jesus treated them and treat people the way Jesus has treated us? Number two, honestly look at your own heart. Honestly. I love that song that you led, Kelly, How Deep the Father's Love. I love that verse, that second verse, and I hate it because it is right on. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Oh, we want to say, oh, I would never shout out, crucify him with that mob. Oh, yes, we would. Just as surely as we might say today, oh, no, Bill, I never struggle with racist thoughts and judgments. Oh, yes, you do. As do I. We may not give in to them most of the time. But it's a temptation that Satan throws at us. Number three, grow in awareness. Give yourself a more accurate, balanced view. Try listening to the other side every once in a while. We accuse the other side of living in a bubble. And then we look at the shows we watch and the commentators we hear and the uh, social media we follow and we see one view. Number four, seek out genuine relationships and honest conversations with others not exactly like you. And I don't mean just an acquaintance. I don't mean just a coworker that you actually talk to a couple of times a day, but someone that you know. Someone that will actually tell you the truth about the times in their lives when they were treated unfairly and unjustly because of the color of their skin. Do you know someone like that? Who do you see when we say those words up there, discrimination, racism, Equality, prejudice, those things. Who do you see? Do you see the uh, blacks that were tearing up businesses in the summer of 2020 and lighting police cars on fire? Is that who you see? Do you see the white supremacists calling out for us to get back to the point where we're lynching people? Is that what you see? I'll tell you what I see. I see James and Tommy Varney. James is one of the elders at the church we used to serve in Arlington. They raised their kids along with ours. James is a Liberian-American. Tommy is also black. They raised three boys, about the same age as our girls. One of those boys has been a police officer. One of those boys is a successful businessman like his father. 
And another one of those boys is a high-ranking attorney in the Dallas County District Attorney's Office. And I know the stories that they have. And they're not the same as mine. And those are the faces that I see. I also see our friend Brian Brown. And I miss him. And I miss his prayers. And I miss his presence. That's the face that I see. Number five, show genuine compassion and courageous action. It's going to take genuine compassion, and that needs to lead to courageous action. And number six, let your actions demonstrate your belief that the gospel truly is for all. The old song says, of one the Lord has made the race, through one has come the fall. Where sin is gone must go his grace. What's the next line? The gospel is for all. The gospel is for all. So quickly, let her see God's vision. Unity in diversity. Wouldn't it be a whole lot easier if God made every single one of us just alike? If we were all five foot nine males with balding hair and... Be so good. But diversity makes us stronger. It's challenging. And it's tense. But it makes us stronger. And God's vision is unity in that diversity. Not uniformity to where we're all just alike. We look alike. We sound alike. We believe alike. We like all the same things. Unity in diversity. Revelation 7 is that great look at the, around the throne of God. And it says there that there are people there from every tribe, every race, every nation. Gathered around the throne. Singing together praise and glory and honor and worthy is the Lamb on the throne. One on the throne, the Lamb that was slain. Peter says in that great verse in Acts chapter 10, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now it took Peter a long time to live that out. But when God sent his Holy Spirit upon Gentile Cornelius and his family that day, Peter learned that that was the truth. It was hard. And it's not how he had been raised. But he knew it was the truth. In Luke 10, the question Jesus wants us to ask is, what is the loving, neighborly thing I should do? That's the question Jesus wanted to hear from that man. That's the question he wants to hear from us. What is the loving, neighborly thing I should do? And then he tells us, go do that. Whatever that is, go do that. If it's befriending that person of another race, if it is watching a different television show, if it's turning off the social media, whatever it is, go do that. Inviting that family that's a little bit different for you out to eat for lunch. Whatever it is, what is the loving, neighborly thing I should do, go do that. And it'll make a difference. Our culture seeks to divide and polarize and make us not only ungrateful 
for those not like us, but resentful of them. Pretty much like the man who asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? That's the goal of our culture. And yet we are all created in God's image, all sinners in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of us needing to be loved. Christians should be grateful for all, even in an ungrateful, polarized culture. We can be the light of the world. If you need help doing that today, come as we stand and sing our song together. It is